0: Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School podcast for the third Sunday of Easter, April 23rd, 2023. And today in our gospel reading, as we do every Easter season, we have another account of of a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to his people. Um, Now that he's risen from the dead, we we get to hear again and again for a few Sundays that uh, more and more of his followers get to witness that Jesus is indeed alive. And so today we are going to look at the two men on the road to Emmaus. This is Luke chapter 24. Verses 13 to 35 a pretty lengthy reading, so we'll at least pick out the high points along the way. A couple of, uh, of points to note before we dive into the text itself. First off, um, this text in Luke is the first post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, and it's also the first meal. Keep that in mind as we work our way through the text. Another facet of this is that um, in Luke 24, the day, the first day of the week begins very early in the morning, near dawn. Dawn is just breaking or about to break. Um, And of course, dawn is a symbol of uh, of something new. You know, if someone says it's a brand new day, it means that something new is about to take place. And that's certainly true that morning as the women go to anoint the body of Jesus for burial and find that the tomb is empty and he is risen from the dead. And the day stretches out to evening, and Luke, uh, our, our passage here in Luke 24, 13 to 35, where by the end of the day, um, or the end of the text, the sun is setting, the day is coming to an end. And and what does, what does sunset, the end of the day, kind of always hint at? Um, it hints at, that this world is coming to an end, and unless the Lord comes back soon, you and I face our own and our own sunset in death. So we have here in Luke 24 both both the, the joy of—it's of, um, a brand new day. Christ is risen from the dead, and then as the sun is setting on this world and as the sun is setting on our lives— Where are we, and where is Jesus? One other quick note is that the Gospel of Luke is full of stories of meals, of table fellowship, where where Jesus is invited to somebody's house, and he teaches them, and then he has a meal with them. Luke has made use of meals to frame the weekend of Jesus death and resurrection. So the account of those days begins with Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples where he teaches them and then he institutes the Lord's Supper. and then at the end of those of those days on this Sunday, Luke's account ends with Jesus, teaching, and then celebrating a meal with these two in Emmaus. And with that in mind, with those themes in mind, then let's take a look at Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Starting at verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. All right, so two of them are going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Two of who? Two followers of Jesus. Jesus. Obviously, neither of them are two of the 11 remaining disciples. They could very well be two of the 72 whom Jesus sent out to proclaim the kingdom during his ministry. In fact, um, some early church writers have identified one of them, who we know is named Cleopas. They've identified him as Clopas, the brother of Joseph, which means this is the uncle to Jesus. Now, we have no idea if that's true from Scripture or not, but it was something that, that um, the early church said later on, so we can go with a positively might be true about that. The same writers also say that um, the other unnamed disciple is the son of Clopas, whose name was Simeon, who would go on to be a bishop in the church of Jerusalem. Anyways, these two are walking from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. They've gone to celebrate the Passover. They've, uh, they've seen the death of Jesus. They've heard that he's risen from the dead. Now they're headed home. And while they go home, Jesus himself draws near and goes with them. Now a theme throughout all four Gospels is that the kingdom of heaven is near because the king is near. And now in this text, the king draws near to these two men, risen from the dead. At this point, though, they don't recognize him. He's just one more stranger on the road. Why don't they recognize him? Because their eyes are prevented And part of that is because um, we find out they don't believe that he's risen from the dead. And if he's not risen from the dead, this can't be Jesus, both by way of logic and by way of their unbelief. But Jesus draws near with them and he goes with them. He doesn't abandon them because he is there to teach them and then to have a meal with them. All right, verse 17, And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Just a note here, um, The word there for visitor. Are you the only visitor who doesn't know what's happened in Jerusalem? Um, The word visitor there comes from the Greek word to live as a stranger. And of course, someone who is visiting is is a stranger to the householder. They're they're an outsider. And and, um, it's kind of an ironic thing here. What kind of a stranger are you that you don't know what happened in Jerusalem? Because on the one hand, Jesus is the ultimate stranger. The ultimate outsider, because he's the only begotten Son of God from eternity, so he'll always be unlike anybody else on earth. But on the other hand, Clopas or Cleopas rather makes a a, a bad assumption because Jesus certainly knows the things that have happened in Jerusalem because he's the one who suffered them. At this point, though, Jesus simply asks them what they know. In 19, he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. So, Cleopas and this other unnamed disciple, they give a pretty impressive summary of historical knowledge in just a few sentences. They talk about Jesus of Nazareth they consider him a prophet who is mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and so they mention the people the chief priests and the rulers which is kind of everybody that Jesus interacted with as he went uh, throughout his ministry and on his way to the cross now there's trouble here because they've cherry picked uh, in their in in what they believe and that's led them down a, a dangerous path they consider Jesus to be a prophet mighty indeed and word and there were a lot of prophets of the old testament who were mighty indeed who worked miracles and wonders and they they spoke mighty words as they declared God's word to the people but cleopas and his friend leave out another aspect of Old Testament prophets, and that is, they were suffering servants. Although they were mighty in word and deed, they suffered for speaking God's word. Now they think Jesus was a prophet, but because they've they've neglected or ignored the part of the Old Testament prophets that uh, that they suffered then for them it's a huge stumbling block that Jesus suffered. It doesn't fit with their concept of what a prophet should be like. So, when the chief priests and rulers deliver Jesus up to be condemned to death, they see the cross as a scandal. They see it as something that ruined their hopes and expectations. They don't see the cross as a fulfillment of prophecy, as the redemption of the world, as God's plan from before the foundation of the world. They see it as we had great hopes for Jesus and the cross destroyed those hopes. And so they say in verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Um, now, this is this is kind of ironic once again because for them it's the third day since these things happened, and every day proves that Jesus wasn't the Savior. Whereas throughout the writings of Luke, both Luke and Acts, the third day is is like a code phrase for mission accomplished, salvation won. So while Cleopas and the other are saying, ah, it's been three days since Jesus died, I guess all is lost. I mean, you can almost imagine Jesus with them kind of even smiling at their their ridiculous irony because since it is the third day, clearly all is one because he's risen from the dead and he's walking with them and he's about to teach them from his own holy word. Another little play here by Luke in this writing is, is, um, is the word redemption here. They said, uh, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And this is another theme that Luke plants at the very beginning of his gospel. And now as he's summing up the gospel in Luke 24, he brings us back the redemption of Israel. So back in, in um, Luke chapter 1... Elizabeth finds out she's going to have a baby, John the Baptist. She finds out because an angel tells her husband Zacharias while he's a priest in the temple and uh and zacharias doesn't doesn't believe this and so he is he is struck dumb until John the Baptist is born. when John the Baptist is born zacharias um declares a beautiful song. We still sing it in, in matins sometimes. It's called the Benedictus. And it, beca- it, it begins, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has come to his people and redeemed them. All right, so, so anticipating the birth of Jesus, because John the Baptist is a messenger, Zechariah declares that God and his redemption have come. Jesus is born in Luke chapter two. They take him to the temple uh, for for purification rites, and there they meet Simeon and then they meet the prophetess Anna, who who prophesies of Jesus and then speaks to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. So right off the bat in 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 Luke in Luke chapters one and two. There's this theme of, as Jesus comes, he brings redemption. And now these two guys are saying, we thought he was the Redeemer, but then he went and died on the cross, so he can't be. Which again is is just unbelievably obtuse on their part, because he redeems by his death on the cross. Now, keep in mind, Zachariah and Mary speaking of redemption at the start of the gospel. As we hear this next little bit of, of Luke twenty-four, this is verse twenty-two and and uh, and uh, through twenty-four. Moreover, say Cleopas and his friend, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So, Cleopas says, yeah, some women went to the tomb. They found it empty. They came back and said an angel told them that that Jesus was risen, but we don't believe the message. All that is, is completely accurate, but once again, this goes back to the start of Luke. And throughout Luke, and really throughout all four Gospels, is, is this idea of the great reversal. We've talked about that before. And the great reversal includes the idea that those who you would think should believe God's promises and should believe in Jesus right away, don't. And those who you wouldn't suspect of believing in Jesus right away do. Everything gets flipped over. So, for instance, as as God lays the foundation for the birth of Jesus by, by sending angels to tell Zacharias that Elizabeth will conceive and sending an angel to Mary to say she will be the mother of Jesus, well, When the angel appears to Zacharias, Zacharias the priest, Zacharias the man learned in the Old Testament who's actually standing inside the temple in the holy place when the angel appears, you would expect this elderly, pious, scripture-knowing priest to rejoice right away in the news of the angel, the angel who speaks to him having come from the presence of God, and Zacharias doubts. Mary, as far as we know, if she fits the demographics of the time, she's what a 14-15-year-old a girl ready to be married off to Joseph. Not much education for the 14-year-old girls of Nazareth, we're sure. Yet the angel comes to her and says, you're going to be the mother of God. And she says, let it be to me as you have said. Right? So, so if you didn't know the story, you'd expect the priest to believe the angel's words and Mary to have a few questions. But it's just the reverse. And here at the, the end of Luke... The women go to the tomb. They hear the angels say that Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus meets them. And they come back to the disciples and they say, Jesus is risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. And the disciples hear that news and they don't believe it. And, and some of them actually go to, uh, to the tomb. Peter and John run to the tomb and find it empty but there's no great enlightenment for them at the moment. So it's the same thing repeated again. Between Jesus' inner circle of disciples, whom he's catechized daily for three years, whom he's told that he'll die and rise again on the third day, between them and the women who have followed them, for whom should the resurrection click first? Who should believe right away that Jesus is risen from the dead? You would think the disciples, but it's not the disciples. It's the women. It's a replay of, of, of Zachariah and Mary at the start to remind you of the great reversal that, uh, that the people you most expect to believe don't. At least not a right- away. and the people you don't so much expect to believe right away, do believe right away. And that extends to Clopas and his friend. They know the scriptures. They believe that Jesus was the redeemer. Why do they not believe the message that Jesus has risen from the dead? All right, so they've given their, their uh, kind of historical recounting of what happened to Jesus and what they believed about him, but they've given up. He's been dead three days, and, 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 and there's no hope anymore. And so Jesus responds in verse 25 and following. He says, we read, And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus calls them foolish because they are slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Again, they've cherry-picked And so they've missed the part that the Messiah will not just be mighty and a mighty miracle worker. They've skipped the part where he must suffer for the sins of the world. And Jesus says that suffering was necessary. In fact, the word there in Greek says it was divinely necessary. It was God's plan from the start that the Messiah die to redeem the world from sin. And... To make his case, Jesus then begins with Moses. That'd be the first five books of the Old Testament. And he runs all the way through the prophets to show time and time again in the Old Testament that all the scriptures declare that the Messiah would come and suffer and die and rise again for the redemption of the world. All of scripture points to Jesus, and Jesus demonstrates this for these two men Oh, it would have been great to be there and hear the whole conversation. But for the rest of the journey throughout that day to Emmaus, Jesus catechizes these two men. He teaches them his word. But time goes by, and the sun gets lower in the sky, and they arrive at their destination. So we pick up this text in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. All right, so Jesus acts as if he is going farther. And really, he is the stranger passing through, right? His, his destination is, is his throne in heaven. But they have heard him teach them the word of God, and while they still don't know who he is, they want him to remain with them, to stay with them. All right, and, and, and this is, by the way, um, this text becomes the basis for some beautiful music in the life of the church. Um, the, the old favorite hymn, Abide With Me, Abide With Me, Fast Falls the Eventide, The Darkness Deepens, Lord with Me, Abide. Um, that, that hymn is a beautiful hymn that, that even when the sun is setting on our lives, in life and in death, the Lord abides with us. Likewise, in the liturgy of evening prayer that we, we use here, Christmas Eve although we use different different texts for it but but the Liturgy of evening prayer begins with um, the words Jesus Christ is the light of the world the light no darkness can overcome and then we chant back and forth stay with us Lord for it is evening and the day is almost over so in evening prayer we we, we pray, to the Lord to stay with us as these men ask Jesus to stay with them. there are other instances as well but abide with me in evening prayer are probably the uh, the most too apparent in, in our in our hymnal and Jesus hears their prayer and Jesus stays with them and this is where this story gets even better verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sights. So here is Jesus, the guest, and as he sits down for the meal with them, he kind of takes over a host duty He takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to them. Now, verse 30 has all sorts of words that that you could find in previous meals in the Gospel of Luke. Um, For instance, when Jesus goes to stay at Zacchaeus' house for a meal, he says, I must remain with you today. Um, Of course, in, in verse 30 here, the words that are most evident are the words, same words used when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper in Luke 22. He takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. And it's then that their eyes are opened. That's a great line too, by the way, because talk about bookends. The, uh, the, the phrase that their eyes were opened, that's the same In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, in the first recorded meal, in the new creation of Genesis, Adam and Eve eat and their eyes are opened and they see that they have brought death into the world. Now, in Luke 24... Their eyes are opened and they see that Jesus is risen from the dead at this meal because Christ has conquered death. He has conquered sin. He has conquered those things that Adam and Eve brought into the world. And now in this meal, he shows that he is risen from the dead. Now, what's interesting is he's been with them. They could see him, but didn't recognize him. And now as he breaks the bread and gives it to him, they recognize him because their eyes are open to that and he vanishes. It doesn't say that he leaves. It says that he vanishes. So as soon as they recognize him at this meal, they can't see him anymore. And this is significant This meal at Emmaus at the end of Luke is kind of a a transitional meal for how the Lord is present with his people. It begins with him visible and ends with him unseen but present. And throughout the Gospel of Luke, he has been visible at these meals and now risen from the dead, he's there and then he's unseen. And from then on, from Luke 24 on, when the people of God gather to his supper, the Lord's supper, he will be present. He'll be just as body and blood present as he was with these two in Emmaus. But they will see him no longer until the last day. So there's always an ongoing debate when Jesus takes this bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to these two disciples, is he celebrating Holy Communion? And you can find a lot of um, answers, yes and no, and arguments why. What is very clear to us is that whether or not this is an actual Eucharist that Jesus celebrates, he's making a statement that from now on, he will be present with his people in The breaking of the bread. Hold on to that thought for just a second. Let's finish the rest of this text. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, Luke goes on to write Luke part two, known to you and me as the Acts of the Apostles. And in the Acts of the Apostles, breaking of the bread, that's a term that means the Lord's Supper. So again, from now on, at the Lord's Supper, at that Holy Meal, Jesus is present, though unseen, with his people. And that is still true for you and for me today. And in fact, this story in Luke, this text from Luke 24, actually shapes our Sunday morning divine service. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus goes into homes, he teaches, and then they eat, and that culminates in this meal. First, Jesus teaches these two as they walk along the road. He opens their eyes to all of the scriptures, and then he reveals himself, and then unseen, in the breaking of the bread. If you look in the hymnal, the divine service is divided into two parts. The service of the word and the service of the sacrament. In the service of the word, we hear our Lord speak in his scriptures. Moses and the prophets in the New Testament, all. We want to hear parts of all the word because all of the word points to Jesus. And it's in that holy word that Jesus shows us Um, that it was necessary for him to suffer and die for our sins and rise again and enter into his glory. It's there that he, uh, he teaches us of his grace and favor and salvation for us. And then we move from the service of the word to the service of the supper. And there Jesus gives us his body and blood in, with, and under bread and wine. And while we do not see him, we know that he is there with us, abiding with us to forgive our sins and strengthen our faith. So as the Lord was with his disciples in his word and, his, and that meal uh, in Luke 24, so he abides with you and me in his word and his supper today. And so he will until the last day. When our eyes are open for us to see him in glory. What joy that will be. All right, that concludes our quick look at the story of the road to Emmaus from Luke chapter 24. God grants you every good gift as you meditate upon this text further. God grants you every good gift if you are teaching this to others. And until we speak again... The Lord, crucified and risen, order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.